0: Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today, I'm with uh, a painter out of uh, Portland, Oregon, so just across the pond from uh, Seattle. And I learned about them recently through uh, a guest that remained unnamed for now because the interview is not out yet, and it's a very exciting interview, and I'm really excited I got them. They're all the way from New Mexico. Um, Simran knows who they are. And um, he recently... Did one of their cover arts? So not only, oh, I just gave away your name. Also, fuck. <laughs> I usually go give a you know a cool intro and then say their name. But basically, my uh, okay. guest. <laughs> basically, my guest today is Simran Gleason, and um, not only is he an oil painter and painter, he uh, he also does cover arts, and he did the cover art for the unnamed guest that is coming out soon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so if we don't get to mention their name that'll be fun <laughs>
0: welcome to the actually podcast from, they're
1: actually from old mexico
0: <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> true 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 so yeah. so uh have you have you always lived in oregon
1: uh no i uh i grew up in the midwest in michigan oh um moved to california for school got californicated and stayed for 28 years wow and then uh moved to oregon um uh, 15 years ago. Wow. So
0: uh, what did you go to school for? I'm guessing art or?
1: Uh, computers. Oh. Um, I have a master's degree in uh, in in software engineering. Um, in fact, I didn't actually learn to draw until a week after I finished my master's degree. Wow. So I was total left-brain nerd, and I had heard that you could learn to draw. There's this book drawing on the right side of the brain by betty edwards she's like yes anyone can learn to draw i'm like not me and uh she was right i was wrong um took a long long time uh and you know i had to wait i i had kind of got the bug to do it while working on my degree Mm -hmm. uh but had to wait to actually study it until i had finished
0: wow that's a that's a very interesting thing like i've been uh I'm a I'm a younger guy, so I feel like I'm still figuring out. Even though I've done a lot of episodes and I talk to a lot of people, I'm still still my journey of like learning how people work. You know, there's just so many different types of people out there, and so I keep uh, I never want to um, be biased towards anything. But I feel like I've, I go through phases where I feel like, especially because I'm so involved with music and art, that I think there's only there's either logical people. Or there's creative people, you know, and it's mm-hmm. interesting to see that you're saying you had this logical brain, but you also were able to tap into something creative.
1: Yeah, and I was uh, I was a professional software engineer for 30 years, and only just last year, oh, maybe two years ago, uh, time uh, time is different in the uh, from the before time. <laughs> um, it was BC. It was actually, during the first year of uh of the pandemic sequester that i switched to full-time artists wow and you know part of it was getting album cover gigs um uh my first one was with dijon who was his uh, oh, yeah, yeah, uh yeah. how do you feel about getting married ep um and uh and that was a whole lot of fun it was in fact the Wednesday before the shutdown, I was driving back from Seattle. I was up there for a martial arts seminar. And uh on the way back, driving in through the rain, I was negotiating with Dijon's art director on how to do this. Wow. Which was kind of fun. It was my first uh, it was my first album cover gig. I had no idea how to uh negotiate or price this. And I was driving in the rain from Seattle and <laughs> it worked out.
0: Dang! So, for um, so people who don't know D- Dijon is a—I still say he's a little bit of up-and-coming um, artist. I don't even know where he's from. I actually just heard of him recently. Literally, that's so funny. I heard about him probably two weeks before I learned about you. Um, ah, neat. Where do you do you know where he's out of? He's from LA. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh,
1: here is uh, the album cover. Oh, I did. Um. And uh, this was a, this was a whole bunch of fun uh, doing this. Um, the uh, the art the art director called me up and said, okay, here's here's the concept, here's the name of the album, and we've come up with ten concepts, and we want you to illustrate those, and then we'll choose the the best one, mm-hmm. and what's your pricing? And I'm like, okay, this is how much I charge for commissions, and da 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 and uh came back with that and it's like no let's do three Mm. and uh, um so we ended up with three concepts um uh it was this one it was kind of like the 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 ring going on the alien finger yeah um there was uh, the uh um the bird wedding yeah which which is really fun and this took three three or so iterations you know the, the 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 groom's peeps are uh are penguins and uh that's my dog in the middle
0: that's so awesome
1: so that was uh you know a silhouette of delta dog um, and then you know from there i went on and i did a few more i um uh, um i worked with spencer barnett um from la and did a couple of single covers for him that were were based on uh, on dolly paintings mm. um You know, like was like, we, oh. we, we, we we did the clock and then for his 48 hours in Paris. Um, whoop, hey, get back.
0: If you're if you're listening, definitely check out the YouTube video because this is really cool artwork.
1: Yeah, yeah. there's uh, so this was kind of fun. It was kind of like uh, the song is 48 hours in Paris. It was from uh, from a trip that Spencer had taken and you know it related to the anecdotes wow. um and you know there there was a particular dolly painting they wanted to kind of echo
0: and you're talking um, about you're talking I, about salvador dolly correct
1: yeah, yeah yeah um so uh and that that was the one with the tree which was also the face which mm. echoes in there with three of them and decided to make it a long view and i told them the story of of my one afternoon in paris after a uh Um, after a painting trip with my mom in Provence,
2: Mm. I
1: uh, took train back to Paris. I had one night there at the airport hotel before leaving in the morning. And I went to the catacombs, which are, uh, it was the day before Halloween. Yeah. um, And I saw the skulls there and I brought my easel down and uh, seeing if I could do a painting of it. There's all these signs that say no backpacks, no tripods, don't touch (laughs) anything. And, uh, I'm like, okay. Do I ask for permission or forgiveness? <laughs> and around one of the corners, there was a, uh, there was a guy sitting in a folding chair, kind of like, oh, yeah. I have to watch these things. Ah, oh, so bored. And I'm like, oh, you know, in broken French English, I asked, "Can I like do a painting of this?" And he was like, eh, "Whatever." <laughs> Wow, probably some high school or college kid who was just like, "That's his job, watching the catacombs, <laughs> making sure nobody steals any skulls." And uh, so I, uh, so I did a little painting uh, uh, down there, which was really kind of fun.
0: Dang, I just, uh, I just imagine applying to that job on like Indeed or I don't even know how you find that job. <laughs> Watch the catacombs. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy
1: so yeah it was, it was kind of interesting the uh, you know they, they were it, it, it even though it was the day before halloween and the and the veils were thin um it didn't feel spooky at all really they 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 all those skeletons and skulls had been moved from the cemeteries of paris into the catacombs mm-hmm. four or 500 years ago right. to make room for paris um and they were all gone they were they it just didn't feel like any of them were just hanging around right we're I, like yeah we got better things to do than entertain tourists by being spooky
0: yeah i think the scariest thing in a catacomb honestly would probably be just the spiders or bugs that are down there
1: <laughs> yeah wasn't wasn't buggy at all it was actually pretty well maintained wow but the uh the um there's all kinds of caves and tunnels and things under there that you don't have access to really, um, unless you're like, you know, some kind of uh, uh, Parisian skater punk who knows the inner secrets. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I only went to the tourist area.
0: Dang. That's cool. Though. I haven't been to Paris. That sounds like a really cool place to go. Um, That
1: was a whole lot of fun. So, so I was telling him the story and trying to say, how do we get the skulls in there? And we're trying to like, there's a cave. And so I ended up doing this kind of almost watercolorish, you know, look up close, kind of almost a watercolorish, but done with oil paint and uh, and solvent. Wow. Um, And we put those as the clouds in the sky, and that was just that made the picture.
0: So, out of any like material, why do you use oil painting?
1: I was. I was doing acrylic for years and years and years mm-hmm. um, and uh, switched to oil painting. Um, the uh, What got me to switch was I was up at a uh, at a wedding on Mount Hood um, and got up really early in the morning to go paint the mountain. And uh, it was cold and I didn't have quite enough sweatshirts on. and I was kind of up there shivering, but my paint stayed wet long enough for me to really mix the uh the morning colors mm-hmm. and that those subtle magentas and purples i'm like oh this is what oil painters get
2: mm.
1: i better try switching so i i got some oil paints and uh switched and tried to do oil painting where i kind of get that kind of color mixing and uh my painting sucked for 6 months <laughs> and uh but i eventually got it and uh now it works really well um, it, uh, it turns out that, that uh, like given certain techniques, you can paint really fast, mm. um, with oil paint, because you could just put something down and cover it. And, you know, with, with, uh, you can put one color over the top of another, if you do your, your thin to thick progression properly. Right. Um, and I take advantage of that for what I consider my main project, which is the slow camera paparazzi.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell people so, about that.
1: So, um, so it was one time at Burning Man, um, <laughs> I was around, <laughs> all stories started burning. Man. Yes. Um, I was, uh, I was out painting pictures of things like construction projects and things in there. And, and I realized, oh, I'm just out here taking pictures of things like everybody else. It's just that my camera's slower. So I spent more time with it and I engaged with it more <laughs> and I like all this pompous stuff. I'm like, oh yeah, it's just my camera, but a little slower. Um, once that happened, all the other projects came in from the pun potential. Mm. So the first project was the slow camera photo booth. Um, I'd put a, I'd put a couch out there and set my easel down. People would sit on the couch mug for the camera with their friends. They'd photo bomb each other. And I would do a little painting of them. Wow. Um, in 10 minutes. Wow. Um, and you know, you don't, I don't paint their faces I just took get the shape of them. And that turns into, um, that kind of thing, and that's been a project that I've been doing at some of the burner events for a while. Let me grab an example. Um, here's one I did out in the uh, high deserts of Washington, and it's a, it, it's oh, on, wow. a, on a on a transparent piece, and it's just just that much of a portrait um, done in that much time. Um, and uh, is that like
0: plexiglass that, or something, or what is that?
1: It, that is exactly plexiglass
0: wow called it <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah um so then i I was painting some bands um and i painted a friend's band um and i used to do that long ago uh back when i lived in california
2: mm-hmm.
1: um i used to paint i call them bandscape paintings, um which is a cute name but not that good <laughs> um and then so when i started up again up here in oregon i i I had the idea of calling it the slow camera paparazzi. So i go and I, I take pictures of bands as they're playing um, or performers, or I was doing a drag show a couple nights ago, oh. which was really neat. Um, burlesque is the hardest because the costumes changed. Yeah, yeah. You have to choose an iconic pose and an iconic, you know, it's like you have to get something that, that, that is like, that's the thing. And usually you have to do something in the beginning because, the costumes change and it takes a little time to do it. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of gotten the feel of being able to do the sort of the gesture of it and catch an iconic gesture.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, one of the, the, the one that became my business card, um, it was, uh, it was Lisa from the band Anther, a, uh, all woman thrash band from Portland. Um, and uh, she was she uh, she had her bass. She was just wailing away on it. She did a Pete yeah. Townsend for the last chord, <laughs> held it up like this, and did a Freddie Mercury. <laughs> held it for that long, and that was enough to get the outline of, you know, of the gesture, It's just, where's the where's the body, where's the head, and that.
0: So where and are, I are spend you? The next... Are you like
1: sketching this at first, or do you go straight to paint? I go straight to paint. Wow. Um, and then you know I I. I spent the next two or three songs figuring out where would the light be if when her arm was up here mm-hmm. when she was playing down here
2: um
1: and that one that one was kind of an iconic picture, and it turned into my uh kind of my disc card let me here's here's uh here's the picture in question, oh yeah, yeah,' cuz so he's doing the Freddie Mercury there That's and awesome. there's very little detail um but it's enough to get the feel of it, yeah and it just goes straight into paint. And this was done on a CD cover, which is a fast surface. So I go really quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, there's an- another example right right there. Um, and this was when I was at, uh, I was in Monterrey in uh, in Mexico um, for the Tecate Pal Norte Festival. And that's the Foo Fighters. Ooh. And it was kind of in a mosh pit at the time. And I could only see four of them. But this was done during the set. Wow. Um, This was about a half hour and then it got too much and we moved to the back of the thing. And it's on an album cover. Wow. This is uh, Sophia Loren and uh, the fall of the Roman Empire.
0: (laughs) Have you got a have you got like backstage passes yet to things to be like, oh, he's about to come paint us.
1: Uh, so this one I did. Um, the, uh, the unnamed uh, interviewee in question was also playing this festival, Ooh. and um, uh, their manager uh, works for the company that put on the festival. Oh wow! Um, so uh, so they got me passes to that, and I went to a whole bunch of different things, and I could go backstage and into the dressing rooms for most of the bands. I did like 17 different paintings of bands. And I managed to give away all give away all but two of them. <laughs> two wow. of them came back with me. And wow. behind that is uh this is this is Eligera. Wow. Yeah, so there was a whole bunch of things. There was uh, there was traditional Mexican bands, there was uh um there was there was the food. there was DJs, all kind of stuff. I didn't paint any DJs. Mm-hmm. Um So would would you yeah, s- that-
0: would you say your musical tastes align more with bands since like I, when I checked out your website, there's definitely, there's a whole section um, focused on, and you said bandscape focused on painting bands. And uh, I know Dijon's kind of a, I, I feel like he's, I don't even know what genre to categorize him in honestly, but um, yeah, I'd like to see like, yeah. where your where your music tastes lie.
1: Oh, uh, all over my, my favorite genre is um, uh, kind of uh, punk doom country.
0: Mm. Whoa, um, that sounds crazy! <laughs> like like
1: like the Bridge City Sinners or Sarsaparilla. Um, uh You know, the 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 jug band punk band. I just love painting them because they'll they'll have they'll have washboards and accordions and basses, you know, stand up basses or even a tub bass. Mm. uh um, those are kind of my favorite, but I also like. Yeah, I like to listen to a whole lot. Um, I do open mics a lot, and that's where I kind of train to do get stuff faster. So there's a lot of singer-songwriters doing guitar work or poets.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, one thing that's cool in Portland, there's a classical music open mic. Wow. And so people bring their instruments, and they'll bring scores, and maybe they'll have rehearsed with some people, or maybe they'll have rehearsed it, and we'll say, can anyone accompany me on these other things?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so you'll get... You'll get cello clarinet oboe trios <laughs> pa- painting oboes is really fun yeah. um, uh, one time the the the, uh, the next the, one of the suburbs, Milwaukee next to us mm-hmm. had a porch music fest. Um, this was during the uh, um, uh, during the sequester um, and they had a bunch of musicians play on their own porches mm. um, and one of the fun ones was a park with a huge water tower, and there was a brass quintet with um, flugelhorns and sousaphones and French horns and all of this, and you could hear it echoing off the underside of the water tower. Wow. It was really neat. Wow. It was fun. And, you know, and then the bands are always really excited to get, uh, to get these.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I always give the paintings to the performers,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and uh, it's all in the gift economy, so I don't charge anything for this sometimes people will tip me and things like that or give me uh you know backstage passes to their shows but i just you know i've kind of got a reputation in portland where i just show up um paint the band and give it to them they're like what
0: wow but as an artist though not even uh from a monetization standpoint how, how do you how do you know what you're worth though how do you know what your art art's worth
1: yeah. Um, I've gone, uh, you know, or, or how, how there's, there's worth and there's price.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and they're different things.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you know, in the, uh, in the gift economy, which this particular project is in the gift economy, there is a huge worth in the connection I make with different artists and the connections people make with each other.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I'm just having all that out there. Um, you know, when I do commissions or when I sell paintings, um, I price them by size.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so, you know, I'd, I don't judge whether or not they're good enough and change the price based on that, based on how much I like it. If I don't like it, I won't put it out there. Right. Um, if I do like it, then it's, you know, it's up to someone. And and it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm going on a philosophy from, uh, from Robert Jen, the, uh, one of the Canadian Gang of Seven. Um, and he's like, when you're when you're young, start out with really low prices, price them by size, not by what you think about them, um, you know, kind of like per square inch sort of-ish, mm-hmm. um, and then raise your prices 10% every year. And by the time you get to be an old fart, they'll be, you know, high. <laughs> um, I started off with that, but I haven't actually raised my prices since 2016. Right. Um, I just tend to uh, concentrate on the bigger paintings. Um
2: um,
1: and I haven't been in galleries, so it's it's very different when you're in a gallery um because you have to uh uh they have to pretty much double the price to make money and you can't undersell them right um so you're kind of you know once you start do that doing that you get locked in and i'm I'm kind of more um pricing in the can people afford it mm. um can my friends afford it and so when i when I price my album cover work. Um, I've spent a long time trying to figure out how to do that. So right. I, ended, I ended up splitting it into two parts. Um, there's the, um, the price for making the painting itself, the mm-hmm. commission. And that is the same price as all my other work. Done by size. Um, uh, and, uh, um, you know, if, if someone is on a low budget, I do a smaller piece. If someone's on a higher budget, I do a bigger piece um uh but then the usage charges which is allows them to publish it right that's a different category and that depends on whether they're an indie artist a major label etc so Mm. my goal is to make it so that that young upcoming indie artists can get an album cover done for within their budget um and uh when people have established and made it we take care of each other yeah yeah, so, you know, before 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 we make it, we take care of each other. After we make it, we take care of each other.
0: Hell yeah, I that, I see that's, that.
1: That's my philosophy.
0: That's awesome. One of my um, one of my favorite artists and previous guests, um, is Easy Gibson. Oh shoot, he actually might. His cover artist, I think he might live in L.A., but I thought he might live in Portland. I don't know if you've heard of. I think it's John Pollock. I don't know if you've heard of him, but I have not. Um, he actually might live in oregon as well or la mm-hmm. it's either one of those places <laughs> completely different mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but um anyways azizi and him have been working for like years and like each time he drops a single or an album it's always it's usually done by the same artist and so i i like i see i like your uh your way of thinking of continuing to grow with these artists
1: yeah and this is this is something i'm i'm uh working with my mexican band um is we started off just doing one single cover mm-hmm. and you know like i charged 150 bucks for it
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and uh painted the painting for him and i listened to the listen to the thing did a bunch of uh, um did a bunch of sketches and stuff and i'll i'll, I'll walk you through my process a little bit later yeah. to, to show you show you how i ended up uh doing this kind of thing um, and uh, then, uh, then they're like, okay, for our next set of albums, we kind of want to make everything be paint- painted. So um, I worked up some package deals. It was like, okay, we'll do we'll do these album, this this many um, single covers, this many album covers, this kind of thing, um, and put it all together as a package price, mm. which is kind of neat.
0: And have you have you? Uh tapping into the the right side of the brain have you found a way to like this is a this is a a somewhat of an example like for when I'm when I'm uh, doing promo for like an interview even most people I I literally have to listen to my interview completely over listen to the music again and then I I I make the promo based on how I feel after listening to the interview And listening to their music, like I, it seems like a straightforward thing to make a promo video. But I, I I really take time to like get inspiration for like how I'm going to go forward with making, the the podcast cover art, and the promo video. So, so for you, I was wondering when you're creating a, a cover art for a, a band or an artist, is it them telling you what they want you to create, or are you getting inspiration from talking to this to the artist and digesting their music or how does that work for you
1: um both of those actually um so i work with i i usually work with the band and we start off with kind of a concept stage mm. and um uh they usually by that point have early demos of the music so i always listen to it do some sketching maybe they've got ideas or things like that maybe they've got uh, maybe they've got some reference photos that they want, or maybe they have a vague idea of something or a description of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes it's been, you know, concepts that, that came with that. And I worked to illustrate them. There's, there's, here's 10 different concepts. Let's, let's see if we can do three of them. Right. Um, and sketching them out with, um, uh, um, a, uh, an Australian band, um, I don't know now, my brain doesn't even remember them. Um, <laughs> um, it was uh um you know, three uh three three kids who are like high school, college age, three brothers wow. who made a band. Um so they uh they have a, a song about um connecting with people when you can't actually see them. Um and so I started off and I did a bunch of sketches. I'm like, all right, let's go with the Zoom grid and let's have dogs looking at the Zoom grid. And so I did a a couple sketches of that. And I'm like, let's try robots. And there's some robots looking at a Zoom grid at each other and kind of thing like that. And I gave them a bunch of sketches, um, you know, based on having talking to them. And they came back with a fully fleshed out concept. They said, we want a, um, um, we want a young kid, maybe eight or so on a beach Running for their life away from two UFOs that are chasing them. And <laughs> uh, the cliff should be the cliffs of Dover.
2: <laughs> wow. Like,
1: yeah. <laughs> that is a concept I can work with. <laughs> so I sketched it out. We did some color studies. I did the painting for them. I sent it off to them. And their label said, Oh, this is too professional. You're kind of a little more indie. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, um, so you need to, uh, um, so they didn't end up going with it. Um, wow. Uh, yeah. So here's, here's the, uh, here's the painting I did. They're alt fiction from, uh, from the Gold Coast.
0: That's awesome. What the heck?
1: And, and, and yeah, they, they thought it was a little too polished for a, uh, a young uh, indie band kind of trying to be underground alt. That was what their label is positioning them as, and so they ended up making it as a T-shirt. Wow, which is really fun. Wow,
0: that's that's so cool. So, so how how old were you when you said you went to the the catacombs with your mom? Like, I, I I'd like to understand. Like, were you ever intrigued by art? When growing up, or did it really just happen once you
1: graduated from college? As I look back, I used to do a whole bunch of little crafty stuff. I would do macrame and hooked rugs, and I never really got drawing stuff. Mm. The story my mom tells of my kindergarten or first grade teacher who uh, um, was kind of frustrated with me not ever drawing anything that looked like anything, and one day she called up my mom And said oh he actually did a drawing that we can recognize it was the house with the tree and the sun and he's finally got a drawing that's the drawing (laughs) and apparently i had done it out of frustration because he didn't like the stuff i was doing the abstract stuff so i gave in did that and never drew again Mm. until later on in college it came out um but I always used to do crafty stuff. So it was kinda in there, I guess it was just kinda deep dive from having been really, really gone into the left brain stuff. So, um, and being you know, being a nerd for most of my life. Um, still am. So so <laughs> Once so just, once upon a time I was a nerd and I'm still a uh, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so so
0: was there like a do you think there was like a personality change once you started getting into drawing like were you i'm trying to figure like were you when you were working in what, what was your profession again sorry it's computer
1: i uh, i was i was uh yeah i was working as a software developer for a long time
0: so were you like a software developer wearing like suits and stuff and then one day you switched into drawing and going to burning man or how no, was the I was evolution silicon,
1: i was in silicon valley and uh let's see when i started my my software career i was wearing a turban oh um, <laughs> the name Simran comes from when I converted to Sikhism uh, back in my errant youth, uh, which was uh, early in college, and I uh, wore turban for you know for t- twenty years. Um, Wait, what's can what's Sikhism? So, so Sikhism is a uh, it's a religion from the uh, from the Punjab, the upper left side of India, um, uh, and it uh, it came out of some conflicts between the Hindus and the Muslims about five hundred years ago. And one guy said, "Y'all are getting it wrong. Shouldn't be fighting about this stuff. It's all the same." And then went and found his own stuff. Mm. And what what attracted you to that? I was kind of uh kind of the yoga technology. I was taking some yoga classes uh, and some uh, people who were Sikhs and it was the Kundalini yoga, and it was it blew my mind. It was kind of really neat stuff.
2: Wow.
1: You... Um, so I did that for a while. Dropped it I still have a little bit of a meditation practice here and there
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's awesome I I grew up doing yoga as well that's that's awesome all right so so you uh how long were you in Silicon Silicon Valley then Ooh, let's see
1: uh my first job was at was at uh at Sun Microsystems back in uh 88 mm. and uh I stayed uh stayed with them till oh three and i worked a couple other companies and moved up to portland in oh seven um so yeah it was was, you know 30 something years that i was uh that i was doing this stuff wow so why'd you move to portland i moved for love oh yeah my sweetie didn't like san francisco um and uh she had grown up around here so um so we moved up, we got a house, we got a dog. Um, and uh then uh, and then that didn't end up working out, and uh, I ended up uh buying the house from her and deciding to stay. It was kind of like, okay, I moved up here for love. It stopped. Do I stay? do I go and I yeah. decided i I liked Portland and decided to stay
0: so I've been to Portland like once when I went to Portland, it was Actually, I've been a few times, but I feel like when you're when you're able to go on your own, I feel like that's really going in my opinion. Like I I've been I've gone places with family before, but then going on your your own road trips and actually exploring places you want to go on your own. It's a whole different experience. Right. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I went I went to Portland. I drove to L.A. last May. And on my way, I drove through Portland and it was a complete ghost town has that changed much since last May or since is it still last
1: May? Well, it was a ghost town because we're, we're pretty much, uh, all, uh, you know, it's like, it's, uh, it's been the sequestering and so people haven't been out much, yeah. uh, it's kind of opening back up again. Um, stuff is happening. Shows are happening again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I've only just this month been, comfortable enough to go and paparazzi some shows again. Yeah. Uh, it's been, I, I have done very little um, since last year. Um, you know, basically since the Omicron uh, stuff came in. Mm. So how, how
0: has COVID uh, affected you? Has it affected your artwork at all or anything?
1: Uh, quite a bit. Uh, actually. Um, I did when it, when it first started, um, I started doing a series I called quarantine doodles hmm. and uh, I would just uh, I would put a thing put a put a thing on the easel and just start painting until it began to look like something you know I just sort of scribble stuff around when it started to look like things like figures or something then I'd be like I'd follow that and I would kind of make that happen and push that and I did that every day. For like 160, 180 days. Wow. Um, and so I had a, about a half year's worth of that, and uh, um, and it was a really kind of a neat thing. It kind of felt like almost like I was channeling stuff. Like you know, the stuff was coming through, Like it was an oracle. Hmm. They were all kind of surrealist stuff. Um, let's see. Here's some uh, uh, examples of stuff I've done recently um since i you know now i'll do it occasionally you know here's uh here's here's a here's a piece where there's uh this is kind of done in the reverse thing where i put stuff down and then get the whites by pulling the paint off
2: ah
1: and then you get got these little figures there and kind of birdie like things and interesting kind of stuff like that yeah. uh here's a bigger one on a piece of scrap plywood um oh wow so kind of get these figures in and it's like seeing what's going on um, and seeing what images come up. When I put all of these up in a show uh, a year ago in October, um, it was kind of neat to see the progression. It was all lined up and some of them were this big. Some of them were just teeny little teetles, uh like. Uh, do I have anything in. Uh, in the small size of that. Um, Dang. I don't, but here's another one. Here's here's the thing. This great big bird came out. Yeah. Dang. And it's kind of really, really neat to see what what comes out uh, in these things. That's Um, so cool. And it feels like, you know, a message from something. Um, I'm my just in subconscious awe. somebody else's is you know maybe is it, am i tracking the zeitgeist yeah um, um one of uh one of the things also that i did uh um during the pandemic um uh, was uh, there's a lot of protests in portland yeah um it was kind of the center of uh, a lot of that kind of activity and uh we have um, statistically uh one of the one of the uh highest incidences of, of police brutality um in the nation mm-hmm. um and all of the protests for that and you know the, the the police and police union response to us asking them to stop police brutality is to beat us up more um so i did a lot of um a lot of paintings of that Mo- only a few on site. I was only at the protest a little bit. Um, uh, but most of them from reacting to, uh, um, reacting to things I I saw on there. Right. Um, let me, uh, um, let me see if I can pull some of those up. Um, Oh, cause I, I saw you did
0: a, you did like an interview piece. Um, and I saw like there was a whole like website that was like breaking down each piece, right? Yeah, I did. I, uh, there was a little, um,
1: uh, uh, the uh, Nailed Magazine. Yeah. It, uh, two, ar- two articles on these. Um, that me, was super uh, cool. Let me bring some of these up. All right. This one, uh, I which I called Systemic Response. Um, Yeah. So a friend of mine was, was actually a journalist, uh, was putting his kids to bed and heard all this ruckus around and went out and saw this, um, took some pictures of it. I sent him a message. Can I use that? And then I did that painting. This was, uh, this was one by two feet. Mm -hmm. Um, some of the early ones, the first, the first one I did was a response to, uh, to the precinct three burning, um,
0: wasn't there a lot I mean, of a uh, correlation between what was happening in like Chaz and chop in Seattle and the things that were happening in Portland?
1: Uh, there was. Um, and uh, I did a painting of, um, of the martial law band uh, playing there. Um, I had painted them when they came to to Portland earlier. Oh, wow. Here, uh, here's this big one of the, uh, the precinct three on fire. Um, and there was a really interesting, so there's all the words on it basically says, uh, um, uh, disproportionate response, yeah. which is there. Cause it was, it was responding to a right wing, uh, um, talking point. Oh, burning a building. That's a disproportionate response to a mm. little bit of police brutality. And then it says, uh, you know, one arm, unarmed man, one building. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, is that a, Is that, you know, there's, there's, real real anger and real problems going on here. Yeah. And uh it was a big decision of do I put the words on the painting or not do they become part of it. Mm-hmm. And if I just do the image, could this image be repurposed um to fit right-wing talking points. Mm.
2: Like
1: the the one painting I did of um uh let's see if I've got it here um there we go. Um, defending a murderer's house while the city burns. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was when the when they when the cops all went to go protect Chauvin's house.
2: Yeah. Like yeah, if yeah.
1: I just had that, it's it kind of without the words, it almost reads as a paean to the bravery of the men in blue who protected the blue line and kept their colleague from getting getting mobbed. Yeah. But like no i i I don't want it to be used that way, so I decided I would put those on there um would
0: would you say that, that a, would you say that every piece has a has a meaning behind it, whether there's actually words on it or not
1: uh well, for this series they yeah. almost all had the words on it mm-hmm. um and uh and then I ended up uh you know a few of the pieces sold and i I used the proceeds from that to make stickers and posters. Nice. And uh, gave them out to the uh, activist community to, to post all over Um So they, they went up and there was a whole bunch of them and uh, I had a friend who, uh, who put up a whole bunch on, uh, on the street where the police union was uh, and went back the next day and they were all peeled off. Mm. Like, ooh, that's interesting. Someone really reacted to it. Yeah. Which meant it did its job yeah You're not wrong you No, know, it's like that's that that's that's high quality engagement to get pissed off enough at stickers to pull them off
0: <laughs> yes dang so is most of your uh connections and um is it usually like word of mouth or how do how do people usually connect with you to either you you know collecting with the activists or um, working with other artists
1: uh, a lot of it is word of mouth um, uh, for, the, for the sticker stuff I, I, uh, I contacted uh, Don't Shoot Portland which is a, uh, um, a group that has been pointing out police brutality for years and were strong organizers um, during, the, during the rally and during the protests um, so I actually work with them and, and, uh, we, we put their logos on some of the posters and, uh, and stickers. Um, but mostly it's kind of word of mouth things with the, with the paparazzi work. Um, I, uh, I find events I want to go to and I just show up, mm. um, for larger, um, more, you know, for locals, that's, that's easy to do. Yeah. just show up and I, I talk my way into the venues, um, <laughs> You know, I I usually pay the uh, pay the cover price unless it's someone that already knows me and has put me on the list. Yeah. But for larger bands, can't always do that. Yeah. Um. Uh. There's there's been times when uh, there's been backpack rules when Pussy Riot came to Portland, uh, there were like no backpacks in there. You know, things were kind of controversial. Um. I actually even knew one of the security guards there, so we asked the manager of security, who so asked someone and the answer was no so i, I didn't right. um and uh you know that happened with too many zoos when they came to portland uh but for other bands um i've i've had some contact so uh high lung is one of my favorite bands <laughs> they're uh um they do kind of iron age uh shamanic folk um with all this this uh ritual work in it and uh I like uh, these genres.
0: Gotta... These are really funny
1: genres. <laughs> <laughs> They're worth looking up. They are yeah. fabulous. Um, let me see if I can. Uh, I'll. 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 I'll see if I can pull up uh, that uh, that thing while I'm um, while I'm talking. Um, pull up a, a, a picture I did of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, that's really cool. I, that's um, cool. You brought up right. Marshall Lobb also I, I had him on three times the podcast. You, Brought up whom? Marshall Lawban. I've had him on three times. Wow, that's really all right. That's really cool.
1: Yeah. So this is uh, this is Maria Franz from uh, from Highline, and this is this is a, a drip painting done from uh, um done from a photo. Wow. Uh, but I painted. I've got to paint them live a few times, and uh, it was you know the connection I got to them was really interesting. Um, so there's one time in Reykjavik, <laughs> <laughs> I was visiting there, and I was painting little scenes of the city, and there was a printing press on the. In an alley, and I go up and I'm painting at. There's a guy up on a ladder scraping a window next to me. He's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Uh, is this yours?" He's like, oh, "It belongs to my tenant." And uh, you know, we got to talking, and I'm doing the painting of this of this this red press out there. um <laughs> And you know, he's like, "Oh." portland i've been to portland and i was thinking you know seeing his tattoos and what he looked like it's like oh you're about to say your band played there my band played there <laughs> over on alberta street uh that was uh, Adi from solstaphyr um so we exchanged stuff uh information and when uh when fear played the next year at kexp for Reykjavik calling mm-hmm. um i uh came up to seattle and um uh, and painted them. Wow. And uh, standing next to me while I was painting was this gorgeous woman in skin-tight leathers dressed to the nine and a half. <laughs> and it turned out to be their publicist. Mm.
2: Um,
1: their they're, uh, you know, PR rep for the label uh, Seasons of Mist, the uh, metal label.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and uh, they're also the label for uh, for high Loan. So that was Katie uh, Irizarry and she got me, uh, she got me backstage passes there, um, and then just uh, this October when they came to play Red Rocks, I got to go uh, and get backstage passes to uh, to paint them there and give them the paintings afterwards, which was really fun. Hell yeah! So wait, so how did you actually get involved
0: with the music scene? You said Dijon was your first cover art, correct?
1: Yeah. So the 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 reason that uh, that they called me, um, it was Jack Karazisky, the uh, art director. Um, just sent me, a, sent me an Instagram saying, I love your work. I want to do an album cover. And I looked at his page and I'm like, you don't look like much of a musician. What and then I go back and I reread it and I was like, oh, you're the art director for this guy, Dijon. It was, oh, it was on a very different level. Hmm. So he had found another of my slow camera paparazzi projects. One of the things I do is I'll go to Comic-Con. Nice. And, and I'm cosplaying Bob Ross i love it <laughs> and i have my easel there and i'm i paint the other cosplayers on cd cases and this time i paint them on the inside so they can close them yeah and protect their costumes which are just incredible the things they, these people do are amazing yeah um and uh so i painted there was a scooby-doo uh uh costume it was kind of a professionally done thing it was like this this was at the at the Professional Cosplayers booth. But mm-hmm. so I almost didn't do it because I like to do the amateurs and the kids and that. But I painted this Scooby-Doo because it was such a cool thing. Yes. And I posted <laughs> that on my Facebook, my Instagram. And some of these posts went around the world and were shared like, like 5,000 times. That's it was so really crazy. Neat. You know, they just went around the world in a wave because people got into this Bob Ross doing doing paintings of these of the kids (laughs) doing cosplay um and so jack had seen that and i was like i gotta use him for something and it was you know about a year later when he finally had a project that worked for it and called me up and that's how it started
0: wow so you 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 had no inspiration at first to to want to do art covers it just kind of just happened it just happened wow it was like
1: I, you know, I had no, you know, I thought this would be a cool thing because I was doing a lot of music stuff. Yeah. And when I do paparazzi work, people are like, Oh, can we use this for an album cover? I'm like, well, yeah, go no, we'll go for it. And so there's been a few times when the paintings I've done of bands have gotten, um, uh, gotten to be album covers. Um, uh, like, uh, the steel city jug slammers was the first one.
0: Nice.
1: They're from, uh, Birmingham. Um, and, uh, they they were, they were great. They played up at the white Eagle.
0: Wow. Um, so,
1: and while we're here, here's the, uh, here's a picture I did of Solstafir at, uh, KEXP.
0: That's awesome.
1: Um, you know, when I, when I went to Iceland, uh, Icelandic metal was on my bucket list. So I got to paint a bunch of Icelandic metal bands. which is <laughs> really fun. You sound like a really huge hair flying all over the place. And it's, it's great
0: you You sound like a very well traveled man
1: <laughs> it's uh it's been kind of fun it, 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 that was actually a family trip to iceland my uh my parents we've got all of us to go on a Disney trip so it was like a clan of fourteen um and uh with with siblings and nieces and nephews and all of that and uh so I spent a week in Reykjavik afterwards just going around painting wow um, so yeah it was it was a lot of fun so
0: um I was wondering, so do artists, uh, I guess it depends on the artist. So for you specifically, do you, is there like a certain design that you are like known for drawing specifically? Is it the band's thing or is it like, I saw those two other um, covers you showed me. They had like, uh, like they had birds. Like, are you really into drawing birds or is there anything that you gain the most inspiration from?
1: So, yeah, there's the band stuff. Um, uh, that's probably what I'm known most for locally, mm. um, farther away. And you know, for a couple of album covers here and there, that's gotten me a lot of, you know, having done uh, Dijon's cover, then I got a, a number of people asking me to do stuff. Mm. Um, uh, the birds are fun because they are, um, I actually have done a lot of bird work, um, <laughs> uh um one of the uh the chants that highland does is kind of a bird magic thing um and in fact there's a there's there's one of them right here um so this is actually another thing that came from covid um uh because uh oh, wow. covid and corvid are so close that covid and corvid um become uh, uh become synonyms in my personal mythology, which is mm. kind of pun based. And, you know, this is the kind of thing is that artists have personal mythology and you develop <laughs> it and it gets into the stories and the work yeah. and, um, the COVID Corvid thing. And so I did a couple of paintings and one mural, um, called the uh, 19 Corvids. Mm. So there were, uh, um, there were 19, uh, crows and jays and rooks and ravens on them. Um, and then I did some projects where since COVID really became a mirror for our society, yeah, it's like this happened, we can see what we're like. Yeah. Or to put it in the colloquial, we can see how fucked up of a society we've <laughs> built. Um, you know, we can really see where our values are when we call people essential workers but don't give them any personal protection, and don't give them actually any extra money, and make them work longer hours. We can see that our values are in lip service and not actually taking care of people. Right. And you know, my my the biggest thing I took away from all the protests in Portland was how many mutual aid organizations arose. Mm. Um, you know, barbecuing for people, helping out uh homeless people getting people food getting people clothing in the in the in the winter and and cooling shelters in the summer um and it's just the mutual aid is like the the there's an underground of let's take care of each other kind of feeling um but you know the covid you know how society at large and the and the uh are are um our our capital feudalism culture um, really showed a lot of it, and COVID was a mirror for that. So now, in my personal mythology, a corvid is a mirror. Mm. So shows up, it mirrors for you. So one of the projects I did was to make a bunch. Uh, I made um, I made 19 small corvid paintings, and I placed them around the Justice Center as kind of a psychic mirror. For wow. Us. This is where the protests were happening a ring to the place over a couple block radius with with pictures of birds and I just hung them up on things um as kind of a mirror. and so this is you know this is you know little little things like this this is a this is a partly done blue jay um you know here's these are these these ones are the are the the five element birds here's the, here's the uh here's the air um here's water. There's a hooded crow in the in the Arctic. There's the Earth, which is a playful raven. Um, um here's fire, and then and then the space one is done. So <laughs> you that, are so that, talented. What the heck? That is so cool. That is oh awesome. The so birds have been a whole lot of fun. I've really had a lovely time doing that. I don't really consider myself as specializing in any particular kind of imagery.
0: Right. So this might this might seem like a silly question, but so once you paint, how do you turn that into a cover art? Do you just take a picture of it, or how does that even become a digital form?
1: Oh, um. So uh, so so I have a professional uh, scanner I go to, who's a, who's a professional printer. Mm. Um, he used to work as a technician in the mom-and-pop print shop over on Barber Avenue. Um, and they retired and sold him the, uh, their, their machines, their big digital printing machines. Um, and he runs it out of his basement in, uh, in, in a neighborhood in Portland. Um, so he has this huge thing that has like polarized lights coming at 45 degrees and this huge camera. And we'll, we'll do a four-by-five-foot painting... Um, a, a, you know, a perfect reproduction scan of it. So oh. I have that, uh, you know, for professional stuff, um, I bring it to him, it costs 50 bucks to get a, uh, to get a scan made of a painting and it's perfect.
2: Wow. And
1: he does the work to get it into um, the right color gamut and all the things needed for Spotify or whatever it is, or for printing, if they're going to do a, a print cover um, and uh, you know, for people on lower budgets, um, I take a picture of myself with my camera. Um, I just recently got myself a polarized light and uh, and a polarized filter, so I can get some of the glare out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll do that as part of the cost, but it's not as high quality as bringing it to the professional.
0: Right. Dang. That. So now that we're in the digital space, let's let's talk about your uh, your NFTs. That's really cool that you, uh, <laughs> you you started to go into that realm.
1: Yeah, I got into the uh into the um NFT thing when the hype was uh it was like last March and uh started doing stuff. I started thinking how can I get a physical painting into that? So mm-hmm. I made some videos of it. Um I had already been thinking for for some of my larger work, like this one up here, um or uh uh or this one here. I you can see it coming in, it's on a string, so like it just pulled down. Yeah. Um there's like these larger scenes where I kind of want to do a little fly-through video on them.
0: Yeah, that'd be and sick.
1: Spend some time with that. Um, so I started kind of small. I just did some skull, some skull paintings and uh, used this autograph stuff to make them sort of move and drip and do things like that, which was really kind of fun. And tried to make them into NFTs and also have them as, um, you know, like you can buy the NFT and you can get, you can also get the physical painting mm-hmm. with it. And, um, it was kind of fun to explore. And then I ended up getting crickets and not really having much about that. Well, a friend bought one of them wow. and I kind of lost a little bit of interest. Um, but I decided that I would have them out there because what I noticed was that the people who are actually getting successful at NFTs are the people that were already known.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: You know, it's like, okay, if I have, have some NFTs that have been there for years, and then when I suddenly get known, of like if I do another high-profile album cover, and I get known about them, people are like, "Oh, I can go get some things," but they wouldn't work as a way to promote my work on the way. I have to. Yeah, you
0: know. that's what I learned too. Like my my friends who are doing stuff in like crypto, that are like actually making things versus buying things. They're mm-hmm. like they're like, they might not be celebrities but their marketing budgets alone for NFT stuff is massive. So it, it's yeah. it's just like, so when it, anytime anyone talks to me about like NFTs or crypto stuff, I'm like, you need, you need, you need money to make money. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very much. And, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, I, I'm not so much that I just want to make a whole bunch of money on this. Right. Um, I kind of, you know, I, I would love to have a little bit of fame because that lets you do bigger work and more high-profile work. Like, I know you might have seen the pictures of the lights on the Bay Bridge. Mm. Um, they have this, this interesting little cascading patterns of LED lights. And there's a guy, Villanueva, who's who's doing that. He, he started as a Burning Man light artist, but he got enough fame that he was asked to do the Bay Bridge wow. in, uh, in San Francisco, I was like, yeah. I want to be able to have that kind of, you know, be able to do that. I want to be the guy that, that the, a band calls up and says, come and paint us while we're playing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not so much making a whole bunch of the, the NFTs that motivates me. It's being able to do the fun high profile stuff. Yes. Um, but, but I realized the thing about NFTs that, that, were, that, uh, that kind of explains it for me. Um, do you remember the banana taped to the wall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And the guy that bought the banana taped the wall for two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So he gets a piece of art that's not going to laugh. And then the photographer goes and eats the banana, (laughs) and that's part of the art. So what did the guy who bought the banana really buy? An experience, I guess. (laughs) He, He, yeah, he bought bragging rights. He bought the ability to say, I'm the guy who bought the banana. Mm.
2: All
1: right. So the experience, sure. But, you know, anyone who was there with them had that experience of watching in horror as the the photographer ate the banana. You didn't have to buy that. But to be able to say, I am the guy who bought the banana. I bought a nothing that I can say something about. (laughs) And that's what NFTs are. You you bought the right to say that you have bought the right to say that you have and and it's in, in our meme driven world right now, that's actually a real thing. Yeah. It's it's uh, you know, it's a hyper object in itself. Um it it is a reified concept. Um so it's not a complete nothing, but it's not a physical thing and it's it's a it's a concept that we don't know much about yet originally i thought it in of it in terms of provenance Mm -hmm. and in the blue chip art world provenance is everything you know if you've got a suspected renoir you have to trace where it came from through gallery records and kind of like um not very reliable historian kind of records and receipts and things and some of them are very well documented and some of them are not very well documented and in the art world that's known as provenance mm-hmm. i was thinking maybe nfts give the little artist the ability to have rock solid on the blockchain provenance yeah it didn't turn out to work that way oh uh, it people took it in the get rich quick make a big money thing And the little artists didn't really get any, you know, you can't just have stuff out there and get your Providence and do stuff. It didn't, it didn't turn out that way that even though it had a potential to do it and it might still. Right. I don't know. I haven't really tracked it very much since last year.
0: No, honestly, that, that, that kind of makes sense. You know, like I, I can't even, I wouldn't at this point recommend, like some of my friends are like, I want to make a, uh, I want to make my best album ever and then make it an NFT. And I'm like, so mm-hmm. you're just but that might be your best work, but who's gonna notice that unless you have yeah. the resources to actually promote it and they're just they're not really caring about they're not really caring that you put out that album. What if it if you gain traction with that album, they're they're buying it for the bragging rights versus to be like, oh I have this amazing project that this guy created yeah so it's a it's a interesting uh thing that some people know a lot about and other people don't and then there's also like the misinformation about i don't even know if misinformation is the right word but like uh, the misconception of what it all is about that's Mm -hmm. a better word so i've 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 heard you a few times mention burning man i'd love to hear, hear your take on burning man how many times have you been how did you get involved with burning man
1: i uh let's say i went first in 99 uh 98 was the first year i sent art out there i made a bunch of uh, didgeridoos out of uh, plastic and painted them up and sent them out to with friend to give out to people mm-hmm. um and started going the next year and I was doing um, I was doing large scale immersive audio art at the time I was kind of on a you know at the beginning of a 12 to 15 year hiatus from painting and I
2: wow. sort
1: of went into the the music realm um, and it came from I was doing videos of my paintings sort of morphing them together and putting uh, mu- music that I liked as a soundtrack it's something that's done all the time now on videos that was kind of unheard of back in, in 96, 97. Yeah. And I realized I I didn't have the copyright. So I was putting like uh Mari Buena and sky cries, Mary and stuff like that on some videos. And it was really kind of fun stuff, but there was no way to publish this. You know, people were doing CD ROMs at the time. The web hadn't, uh, hadn't hit yet. Um, and especially you couldn't put videos on the web uh, yeah. back in back in the early 90s. Um, um, and so I uh, decided I'd start uh, sort of making my own music for soundtracks. We got some loopers and uh, was using kind of uh, forwards and backwards guitars and I was doing throat singing at the time. Um, and that evolved into uh, improv bands where we would kind of be halfway between musical improv and theater improv. Um, rehearsals for those are kind of fun. We go to like do theater improv techniques as well as that as well. And I I would make instruments that we would play on, like like some Blue Man Group tube organs and, <laughs> and uh, you know fun stuff like that. We had a really good beatboxer uh, nice. that goes by Kid Kid Beyond on the team, um, and a theremin player. That's where my my. Uh, Email address from Last Theremin came from the. Uh, it was my first band. Um, I had the band name before I had a, had uh, a theremin player. As soon as I, I met a theremin player, I'm like all right, now we're forming the band. <laughs> I had the name for years. We're doing it. Wow. And uh, and so we we played a lot. You know, we only played Burning Man stuff. It was like <laughs> we played our first gig out at Burning Man. Whoa. In in a dust storm while projecting video onto a sheet that was blowing in the wind. We had three people in the audience at 2 a.m. <laughs> It was excruciating. It was freezing my ass off. Dang. And I kept I, I, I then got to do uh immersive installations. Uh the first one I did a uh, it was it was the, the Vault of Heaven year and I did a star chart thing where um I in a dome there was some software that would let you put sound anywhere in that dome.
2: Mm.
1: And um, I was doing acting classes at the time and got some of my friends to record a bunch of star myths. Um, I kind of like took star myths and rewrote them from like the point of view of a, uh, a bitter skater that had just gotten knocked up by Zeus and Hera was pissed off at her. And so she was living on the street as a punk and, you know, told the story of the big dipper myth from her point of view Mm -hmm. because she was thrown up there and turned into a bear um, in the old Greek mythologies. But I rewrote them and I had my uh, voice actor friends do them. And you're in this dome and it's playing soft music. And then it would choose a constellation at random. And with about a page of star map would tell you exactly where Cassiopeia was right now. And it would play Cassiopeia's story from that point of the sky. Nice. And that was really fun. Yeah. Um the the next year was my most successful piece. I call it Haunted Garden. And it's a room that listens to you, figures out the notes in your voice, and composes music out of them. And it would play ambient music based on those notes.
0: Whoa. Wait, how so, does that
1: even how does that even work? <laughs> <laughs> I programmed it in Max M S P. Um Oh yeah, I keep forgetting your a...
0: Software developer.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is this is where my uh, this is after I had gotten laid off from Sun, and I had two years um, when I was just just making art, wow. music out of software, um, and making programs that would compose music. Um, and so it would it would detect notes, you know, by by running a, a fast Fourier transform, find the peaks, and give you a stream of the MIDI note numbers that would come out. And I would I would turn those I would find the harmonic series for those and play the harmonics of what was playing there, and uh, that that ended up becoming really successful. Um, it was out at the trash fence in a in a uh, a dome made out of sailcloth, and there were LED lights. This was back before you could buy them, the commercially color changing ones. Yeah, and I have a friend that. that that uh coded this stuff in assembly himself and wow. was doing these things so i would change the color of the dome based on the key the the, the statistical guesses of the musical key that the, of the sounds it was here
0: dang that is so is is software development still a uh, part of your life in some way or another now or is it all just uh, oil painting and and chickens Where- or?
1: <laughs> <laughs> you I know, you can hear them they're just, just hanging out. Um, uh, these days, it's yeah, kind of mostly the painting stuff. I'm not doing very much software. When I was doing NFTs, um, uh, when I was doing the videos for them, mm-hmm. I I coded up the soundtracks. You know that 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 uh, THX sound where oh yeah, just yeah. this, this noise and it converges to a core to one sound. I had heard a description of how people did that. There was just a bunch of oscillators that would mourn around randomly and gradually go to a place Mm. so i wrote some software that would let you direct that and it would let you say take this number of cycles to randomly converge to a b flat this one uh to a g and then this one and bam you've got a you've got a g minor chord coming in and then 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 a dissonant note would come in and it would diverge and then converge again and i wrote that in python and uh kind of had these crazy soundtracks that would go with these skulls that were dissolving um and that was a whole lot of fun um that's awesome that was but yeah i haven't haven't done much software in the last uh in the last year or so
0: do you uh nice break do you uh think about where technology is going though like we talked about nfts do you ever think about like the metaverse or anything like that
1: um not that much um I got to I got to to go to some Jaron Lanier uh, lectures back when he was doing the early VR stuff, um, and it was kind of interesting seeing that and seeing where it's come in the 20 years since then, and uh, um, I don't think it's it's anywhere near where it's going to be as compelling as as just the shift to the connectivity we got from uh from the web and the internet was that was that was huge right. changing ground baking and um the monetization strategies that they had uh caused all these bifurcated bubbles um i don't think um anything that the metaverse can do is going to come close to that kind of changing um mm. and there there's a um uh, there's a saying uh uh, we had in the software industry. And it comes in a lot of things, but it you know very much applied to new projects, and that's the second mouse gets the cheese. Hmm. And uh, Zuckerberg is not the second mouse in this case.
0: <laughs> who's the Who's the second mouse? Do you know?
1: We haven't seen him yet. They'll come. They'll, they'll someone else. They'll They'll do what they can to kind of make a little something. It'll fail, and someone else will figure out how to make it work. Got it. Yeah, and that's that's in the future
0: yeah so one of my final questions for you is you know this is this this podcast is all about like um highlighting artists um, inspiring the listeners, whether they are artists themselves or just wanna learn more about what it's like to be an artist and um I'm intrigued to hear your where you were where your mindset was when you decided to take the switch from being in software to becoming a full-time artist was that was it a was it an easy switch was it a thing where being in tech you were able to save up enough of an income that you could switch over easy or was it like a dramatic switch or how was that
1: it was easy um I had saved up enough um I was just at the point of paying off my house um and uh I had actually been working for the last three years for startups that were doing some really interesting kind of socially responsible things that were interesting projects. Uh, but they were kind of on spec and they didn't end up paying much.
2: Mm.
1: So I ended up working for three years for not that much pay. In fact, you know, for the last couple of them, you didn't pay anything at all. Um, and so the switch to an art to, to full-time art was not a financial difference, mm. shall we say. Wow, um, I went from making no money at software to making no money at art. It was easy, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I started making money at art. It was kind of neat. That's awesome. Um, you know, on um, um, when I had the when I had the show uh, in October a year and a quarter ago, year and a half. Oh, long time. Um, I ended up uh, kind of making a deal with a muse and ended up uh, selling a painting every day or averaging a painting a day, really? which was really fun. Um, and you know, it was kind of like, there was some hustle there and I had to do some things where I would, uh, I painted a bunch of little, little, uh, spooky Halloween skulls and said, all right, just pay what you want. Cause mm-hmm. I was more concerned about being able to say, I sold a painting every day in October than I was about how much I was making. on them.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and when did the, when did the chickens come into play?
1: Oh, uh, let's see. One of my housemates got chickens last year. Nice. Um, 2 years ago a oh, you're too old now I yeah, I, lose, I lose track of time uh he just started a second batch he's got teen little chicks this big in the brooder um th- right now and he's picking up more today um and uh yeah so it's uh you know he's he's got a little little, <laughs> little coop out there but but we let the chickens out every day and they run around the yard um it's kind of fun i got a half acre lot and we do uh we do a bunch of community stuff here which is really really fun Um, uh, one of my friend groups built 12 foot high letters um, uh, spelling out BLM which we brought to a rally on flatbed pickup truck on a flatbed truck Mm -hmm. Um, and we got some of the local uh, um, graffiti artists to uh, do murals on them wow those are still there and the uh, there's there's local regional versions of the burning man thing like the small weekend long thing and we we have a temple that we burn and that gets built in my yard oh, Wow! so but i i i get a lot of use out of having space here and having people come and do really fun interesting projects
0: that's awesome it seems like you're a uh, you're very community oriented and that's that's really cool to see
1: that you know that's that's the only way we're going to survive the apocalypse <laughs> Is yes. By getting together and supporting each other and building the community, sport networks is the, really the only thing that's going to let us survive if things get bad.
0: Yeah. Do you know when the you know when the underwater underwater volcano erupted?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Or in, in Tonga or something like that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I got the notification that there was. <laughs> a volcanic eruption and i was like holy shit it's about to be the apocalypse and it was the (laughs) i'll never forget that i was like oh my gosh i was like talking to my friend i was like what what are we going to do are we going to survive the apocalypse what's the volcano just erupted because it it was literally saying that there's going to be like chances of um tsunamis hitting washington And I was Uh like, uh I was like,
1: what the heck is going on? Oh yeah. And they did hit Washington, but they were a foot high by the time they hit.
0: Yeah. So, so I think, I think, uh, people think that most of COVID and stuff is over, but what if the, what if that wasn't even the apocalypse? We still have to prepare for the actual apocalypse.
1: Uh, it could be, um, you know, it it could be the breeding ground for something that's really difficult. Um, it's hard to say. I mean, you know, if that was a practice run, we, uh, we failed. We need to, we need to go back on the bench.
0: <laughs> if COVID was a practice run, we failed.
1: <laughs> Coach is not going to put us into the next game.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, what, what's, uh, anything upcoming for you that you would like to promote?
1: Uh, let's see. What have I, I've, I've been in a really interesting lull for a while, so I've kind of, uh, kind of haven't I mean, we got stuck on a couple of commissions. I haven't really hidden very much at all this year, just a little bit of uh, paparazzi work. Um, so I'm only just starting to get going again. So I don't really have anything coming up yet. Um, uh, there's, uh, there's, uh, uh, the next, I'm working on the next single for, uh, for the unnamed, uh, band that, uh, oh, yeah. that, that you'll talk about in another, uh, in another podcast. <laughs> um, and uh um, you know, that'll that'll come out soon. Um uh, but other than that, uh I don't really have that much to uh to have people uh tune into um that's coming up.
0: Well I, I appreciate you coming on this podcast and uh I'm a fan. You got a fan here. So You're
1: right. I'm 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 having a whole lot of fun.
0: Hell yeah. So what is uh what is some final advice that you would have for any up and coming artists, creators, influencers.
1: Uh, you know, art is going to be really important uh, coming up, and uh, connecting with people and uh, community building as is you know is it kind of this, this ground up from the ground up kind of stuff. Um, an image, uh, an image I like. Uh, which is kind of going into my personal mythology is uh, taproots versus mycelium. Um, you know, where our our world is built on people with a lot of power who use their big taproots to pull a whole bunch of stuff into themselves and make themselves the biggest tree they can. But that's not really how it works in forests because there's these huge underground networks of mycelium that kind of Distribute resources among things. It's like they will take the, the nutrients from the big trees and send them to the parts that don't get as much sun or something, and it kind of equalizes everything. And I think we kind of need this uh, this community building, mutual aid kind of thing to take. You know, we've got huge concentrations of of wealth and power, and we kind of need that underground distribution mechanism yeah, to get it so that you know we're 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 not such a top heavy society because that is not uh it's not going to last and it can't you know it makes life much worse for everybody so i've been doing kind of visualizations in the how can we think in terms of these mycelial networks Mm. that pull the nutrients out from the tap roots and distribute them to the people that don't generate as much. Yeah. So that's, uh, that, that's where I'm thinking these days.
0: That's a great thought process. Yeah. That's the, that's very important. Community is very important in helping people, especially during these times, especially, if, especially if this is the beginning, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Oh man, if COVID Yeah, was I mean test- we, you know, we're gonna
1: see it in the next couple of weeks when uh uh when the gas prices go up and make everything else go up. Oh yeah. And um, you know, how can we you know, this is a time when even if you can't afford to fill up your whole tank of gas trying not to uh not to drive as much will keep the demand down, hopefully. Yeah. Um and uh, you know, that's that's something we can do for everybody else.
0: Yeah, I I always know it's bad when I'm. So, my house is in the woods and there's a gas station in the woods. And then there's like, there's neighboring gas stations in the neighboring cities. But like, the gas station in the woods usually is relatively low compared to like if I drive into the city. And Mm -hmm. I got gas today in the woods and it was five bucks. And I was like, what the hell? This is the last place that the gas is supposed to increase. It was. Mm five bucks in the middle of the woods for gas
1: <laughs> yeah yeah yep yep the prices go up on speculation and then they don't go back down
0: yeah they don't
1: yeah you know until it, it was kind of interesting when the when uh, people stopped driving during covid they had to go down yeah so they went down slowly they go they go up fast and they come back down slowly yeah
0: I remember when I was in L.A. I was like, at least Washington's never going to reach five dollars a gallon. So now that Washington's five dollars a gallon, I can I can only imagine what L.A.
1: LA is now. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 still, we're still even even at eight dollars a gallon, we're way below what they pay in Europe, even when things were good.
0: Dang. Well, I feel like everything's so far away here, though. Like I I can't walk anywhere. It's it's fifteen minutes. A fifteen-minute drive to the closest city to me. So that's that's at least ah. a, that's like an hour or so for a
1: walk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and I can't. I hard, have hard to bike. <laughs>
0: yeah, back roads are hard to bike for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, man. I I really appreciate you coming on this podcast. Um, like I said, I'm a fan of your work, and I I love to have you back on. Drop by if you're in Portland.
1: Send, drop me a line and uh, come visit my studio. It would be great to see it.
0: Hell yeah. So what is the easiest way for people to reach you?
1: Uh, Let's see. On Instagram, I'm Copper Pipes. Um, On Facebook, you can look up Slow Camera Paparazzi.
0: There we go. This has been the NAS Podcast with... Shimmer Gleason. And we did it.